Hey creeps, I'm Taylor and this is TGI Crime Day Spooky Season. Welcome to TGI Crime Day Spooky Season. As a reminder, during September and October, we switch gears from true crime to all things haunted, paranormal, unexplained, and everything in between. If you have a suggestion for a future episode that you would like to hear, please leave me a comment on YouTube or you can send me a DM on Instagram. Today we are diving into one of the most well-known, well-covered, and most notorious uh, alleged alien abductions, and that is the case of Betty and Barney Hill's terrifying story of an alien encounter in 1961. There are a lot of ins and outs and details to this story, and there are people who have done years of research and know every in and out, so I am going to do my best to cover and explain things to the best of my ability, but we will not be able to go over every single minute detail in this video. We would be here for hours. Betty and Barney Hill were a very interesting couple, outside of their abduction story. Their niece, Kathleen Martin, summed it up beautifully when she said, quote, The disinformants have told us that Betty was a UFO kook, a science fiction fan, that she had been interested in UFOs all of her life, and that is absolutely false. Betty was a brilliant woman. She was a social worker for the state of New Hampshire. They said that Barney was a very fearful man. That's false. You don't marry a white woman when you're a black man in 1960 if you're a fearful man. You don't become a leader in the New Hampshire civil rights movement if you are a fearful man. Barney was highly intelligent and assertive, and he told the truth, end quote. One of the documentaries that I watched, there was someone who spoke about Betty and said that she was the kind of person who was never afraid to speak her mind, she was never afraid to share her opinion, and because she was that way, she was so opinionated, and she loved kind of battling it out with people about different opinions, she was someone who was always up for a good debate. So... As Kathleen mentioned, Betty and Barney were civil rights activists, and they did a lot for their community in the 60s. They were described as being part of a generation that trusted their government no matter what. They believed that positive changes could be made in the world. They were both members of the New Hampshire NAACP, and Barney commuted to Boston to work nights for the U.S. Postal Service and was a member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. Betty was a social worker, and she graduated from the University of New Hampshire. Betty worked really hard in her position, and it meant a lot to her to be able to help other people. Together, the Hills lived a very regular, quiet life in New Hampshire. They were both very smart, hardworking people, just trying to do some good in the world. Like Kathleen said, they weren't really in on any of the conspiracy theories. They weren't UFO-obsessed or even really believers in the extraterrestrial or any of that paranormal stuff. And let's just call it what it is. Not every reported encounter with extraterrestrials or paranormal activity is real. It might be real to the person who supposedly experienced it, but there are, of course, plenty of hoaxes and fake stories, etc. But I do think that people experience things that they truly cannot explain, and especially for Betty and Barney Hill, this was a time where there wasn't a lot of information about UFOs. There wasn't a lot of people coming forward saying that they had experienced these things, and there's just really no reason for them to lie about what happened to them. People who are logical, well-adjusted humans, like the Hills, who experience something like that, changes their lives forever. And then it's awful when they are completely traumatized, the world as they know it has flipped inside out, and on top of that, 
There are people who are doing everything in their power to make them look like they are crazy and to discredit their stories and their experiences. And then they're told to their faces loud and very often that they are crazy. And like I said, there are people who absolutely lie about this stuff for attention, especially in the world of the internet. But just go with me here, okay? Open your mind a little bit and consider the possibility that we don't know everything about the universe. And chances are, we are not the only life force that exists. And it's just, you know, there's weird shit that we just don't have answers for. And our first instinct is to solve the unsolvable because the alternative, that there are actually people being abducted by aliens and that we are getting visitors from worlds outside our own, it's terrifying to consider. And maybe you think I'm being all new agey and like woo-woo, but look, I think we could all use a little bit more woo. Of course, everything in this story is alleged, so you can either treat it as a kooky, interesting story, or if you believe the Hills truly experienced something otherworldly and unexplainable, that choice is yours to make. With that being said, let's continue the story of Betty and Barney. In September of 1961, Betty and Barney planned a road trip from New Hampshire to Montreal, Canada. They'd gotten married 16 months earlier, but they didn't go on a honeymoon right away, so they decided to take this opportunity to get away and have a romantic trip together. This trip was sort of an impulsive one, and they were only gone for three days, and on their way back, their lives would change forever. On the evening of September 19, 1961, the Hills stopped for a late-night dinner in Vermont. They had hoped to be back home by 2 a.m. and decided that they just wanted to drive through the night. They didn't want to stay overnight anywhere else. They just wanted to get home. They left the diner around 10 p.m., and as they made the journey along the empty highway, Betty started seeing strange lights moving through the night sky. At first, the Hills thought that these were just falling stars, but they quickly realized they definitely were not. Betty said, quote, As I was watching, this star seemed to be getting larger and brighter. As we went along, I kept watching it, and then all of a sudden, I noticed that it had started to move, and we decided to stop, get out of the car, and take a look at it, end quote. At this point, Barney decided that if it wasn't a star or just a bright planet, it must have been an airplane or a satellite. Barney was a World War II veteran and described as a plane enthusiast, so he didn't think much of these lights and just assumed it was an airplane. He tried to reassure Betty that it was probably a satellite or a military plane, but Betty kept an eye on the lights with a pair of binoculars just in case. As she continued watching, Betty realized that the lights were getting bigger and brighter and closer, and eventually it seemed like the lights were actually following their car. As they continued down Route 3, through the White Mountains of New Hampshire, the lights continued following. Oh, by the way, the White Mountains are part of the Appalachians, and if I've learned anything from TikTok, it's that you stay out of the Appalachians. But if you happen to have a terrifying tale of your own because you didn't stay out of the Appalachians, please send me an email. I want to know everything. You can send me an email at tgicrimeday at gmail.com. I want to hear your haunted Appalachian stories. Okay, anyways, moving on. So finally, their curiosity couldn't be pushed down any longer. They couldn't come up with any more excuses for what was going on. So Barney decided to pull the car over on the side of the road and see what was up with these lights. As I mentioned before... Barney and Betty were both very intelligent, logical people. The last thing going through their minds was that this was some kind of an extraterrestrial or paranormal situation. As they stood outside their car on Route 3 in Lincoln, New Hampshire, Betty and Barney couldn't believe their eyes. Floating about 100 feet above them was a craft that Barney described as big as a jet, was the shape of a pancake, round and flat, with lights around the outside. 
Barney had a pistol tucked into his back pocket that he later said he meant to pull and use as protection, but it was as if something was stopping him from moving to pull the weapon. They stared at this flying object in horror as it crept lower and lower in the sky. Barney later told Alan Douglas on his radio show, quote, This caused me to become quite alarmed, and I told my wife, Well, apparently it's not a satellite, it must be a passenger plane, and they are obviously looking at us. And I felt uncomfortable to see this, what I thought was a plane coming in our direction, end quote. Barney tried to stay calm, to keep Betty calm, but he was starting to feel panicked as they jumped back in the car and sped down the road. This flying object continued to follow them for about 30 miles to the Indian Head area. The craft swooped back and forth in a very erratic way that a plane just couldn't. Eventually, they thought that they lost it, but then it was right in front of them, hovering above the highway. They couldn't outrun it, so Barney felt it was time to face whatever this was. He was able to finally get a good look at this object, and he described it as huge and metallic, about the length of a commercial plane, but round and flat. He pulled the binoculars back out, about 100 feet away from the craft that was about 100 feet in the air. Barney said he saw, quote, 9 to 11 men looking down through a series of windows toward me. All the figures, with the exception of one, moved away from the plate glass, and I could see with the binoculars what I thought were arms going up, touching or pulling on levers, end quote. Barney was horrified at this point. He watched as wings slid out of the side of the craft, and a ramp or ladder came down from the bottom. Figures appeared on the ramp wearing shiny black uniforms, and Barney ran back towards the car, ready to get out of there. As he attempted to drive away, the Hills heard a loud beeping sound, and they both felt a weird tingling in their bodies. Barney described it as the feeling of a tuning fork being struck and then put against you. Something very subtle, but definitely something vibrating. And then suddenly, the Hills were back in their car, driving down the isolated highway. They didn't see the flying object anymore. They both felt really weird and shaky, but didn't remember the past few minutes. It wasn't until they realized that they were 35 miles past the spot where they'd stopped, but it felt like they'd only been driving for a few minutes. Then they realized they were three hours behind schedule. But that seemed impossible. How had they only gone 35 miles in three hours? They didn't talk much for a while, both contemplating, until Betty finally asked, Well, do you believe in flying saucers now? Barney chuckled and told her, of course he didn't. They were shaken, they were a little confused, but again, they were both totally in denial at that point that anything bad had actually happened. However, when they got home, again, three hours later than they planned, with no explanation for that time, they still were not sure how they'd gotten so behind, and they started to notice some things. They both had the unexplained feeling like they felt like they were dirty and almost contaminated, but couldn't quite express why. Barney's best dress shoes were scuffed, Betty's dress was torn at the zipper and the hem, the lining was also ripped, and both of their watches had stopped working and were never functional again. The leather strap on Barney's binoculars was torn, and their clothing was covered in a fine pinkish powder. Betty decided her dress was ruined beyond repair and threw it in the trash, but then something compelled her to pull it back out and just hold on to it. She never wore the dress again, but she put it in her closet just in case. Barney was ready to just drop it and forget the whole thing, but Betty wanted answers. She couldn't shake the feeling that something wasn't right. She called her sister, who had a neighbor that was a physicist. Smart thinking. She gets some advice from the physicist friend, and his advice was that they should take a compass out to the car and see if it behaves strangely at all when it's near the frame of the car. He told Betty that the compass obviously couldn't detect radiation or anything like that, but it would detect magnetic fields. 
Barney thought this whole thing was ridiculous, but reluctantly he went to the car with the compass alongside Betty because even though he thought she was being nuts, he still supported her and we love to see it. That was when they noticed the trunk of their car had shiny circles on it that were definitely not there the day before. These circles were placed randomly about the size of a silver dollar and the same color as the rest of the car, but very shiny as if the car had been heavily polished only in those spots. There were about 15 to 20 of these spots that they had never noticed before. They took the compass and put them close to those spots. And when they did, it would go crazy. The needle would spin around. It wouldn't hold still. But then when they put it on other parts of the car on the same paint, nothing happened. After doing this little test, Betty called her sister back. It was good that she called her sister because Betty's brother-in-law was best friends with the former Newton County police chief who happened to be at their house that day for a cup of coffee. The former police chief told them that they should report the incident to the Peace Air Force Base in New Hampshire. The Air Force Base had apparently told the local police departments to call in if they had any reports of unexplained aircrafts or aerial phenomenon. And this isn't super unusual because a UFO doesn't have to mean extraterrestrials or aliens or anything like that. It could be enemy planes or people flying that shouldn't be, things like that. Pease Air Force Base also studied missiles and nukes and things of that nature, so they were definitely keeping a watch on the airspace. Captain Paul Henderson from Pease Air Force Base wanted the full details of everything they could remember. He took their story very seriously. Barney felt relieved after they talked to the captain because he handled it very professionally and he made them feel like calling it in was the right thing and that they were not out of their minds. The Hills were also told that another sighting was reported that same night. Controllers at the tower reported that there was an unusual craft seen on radar at 2.14 a.m. in the same area that the Hills were. Again, Barney was still ready to move on from this. He felt like they had told the right people and he didn't want to keep dwelling on it. But Betty wasn't as quick to let it go. A few days after the incident, she went to the library and checked out the book The Flying Saucer Conspiracy by retired Marine Corps Major Donald Kehoe. Donald Kehoe was regarded as a UFO expert. He spoke openly about various theories about UFOs, government conspiracies, and interplanetary war. In April of 1954, Donald Kehoe was asked in an interview if he believed in flying saucers, and his answer was, quote, The weight of the evidence makes it impossible to arrive at any other conclusion, end quote. The interviewer then asked him about what evidence he was talking about, and Donald replied, quote, At least 800 reports from trained observers, veteran pilots, radar men, guided missile trackers, weather observers, all people trained to know things in the sky, who describe these objects maneuvering under intelligent control. There are hundreds of those reports where the sightings were confirmed visually and by radar, and in some cases, by photograph, end quote. I could go down a whole rabbit hole about Donald Kehoe and the things that pushed him to pursue more information about UFOs, but to sum it up, after information about strange flying objects started coming out in the late 1940s and early 50s, the government was very quick to shut down any chatter. Officials would dodge questions, and contradicting statements were being made, and this set off some alarm bells for Donald, who was a very experienced pilot and had experienced different things in his career. He started off as a skeptic, but as he started digging deeper and looking into different avenues, he became very certain that there was definitely information being hidden and pushed down. From what I understand from my research, in the 40s and 50s, it was pretty standard protocol to immediately debunk, ridicule, and paint people as kooky if they came forward with UFO information or strange experiences. The people who saw things they couldn't explain, couldn't comprehend, and couldn't let go of 
were treated like they were the fringes of society, that no one else was experiencing this, no one else would ever believe them or understand, and their reputations were kind of dragged through the mud if you were the person who in town maybe saw some strange lights in the sky. And I think it's very interesting that we see such a hard and fast shutdown back in the 40s and 50s, and then as time has gone on, more documents are declassified, and little hints are kind of revealed quietly here and there about UFOs and all of the possibilities. It's very interesting, and there are a lot more people who believe in the possibility than there used to be. Donald Kehoe was also one of the founders and part of the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, aka NICAP. Ben Hansen, who was a former federal agent turned UFO researcher, said, quote, NICAP in the 50s and 60s was one of the only legitimate and true organizations dedicated to the scientific study of UFOs. Now, Project Blue Book is the government's arm in the Air Force officially investigating. But as a citizen group, only NICAP and a few others were those who brought in scientists, medical professionals, and had a very rigid way of investigating these events, end quote. On October 21st, 1961, the Hills went through a very in-depth six-hour interview with NICAP where they told them every detail they could remember at that point, including some details that had come back to them after the initial shock of the night wore off. The NICAP member who interviewed them was an astronomer named Walter N. Webb. Barney told him everything he could remember and said that he felt like he had some sort of a mental block and there were things his mind didn't want to remember in that missing time. After conducting the interview, Walter said, quote, They were telling the truth and the incident probably occurred exactly as reported, except for some minor uncertainties and technicalities that must be tolerated in any such observations where human judgment is involved, i.e. exact time and length of visibility, apparent sizes of objects and occupants, distance and height of object, etc. About 10 days after that first night, Betty started having very vivid dreams that horrified her. She was starting to remember things from the lost time. Over the next few months and years, the Hills would remember more details. For a couple of years, they didn't really tell anyone about the experience. One thing that is really compelling, in my personal opinion, is the fact that they didn't go to the media with this crazy story. They didn't want to be in the spotlight. They weren't trying to become famous or any of that. They just wanted answers. The stress and trauma of what they went through that night really took a toll on them mentally and physically. Barney began talking to a psychiatrist, and eventually he opened up more about that night, and he told the psychiatrist that he couldn't remember parts of what happened. This psychiatrist recommended him to another psychiatrist, Dr. Benjamin Simon, who was an expert at hypnotherapy. Eventually, the Hills underwent hypnosis to try to unlock all of that lost time and figure out the things that they had mentally been blocking. Over the course of six months, Betty and Barney underwent extensive therapy and hypnosis sessions with Dr. Simon. At first, they were interviewed separately, and then he began interviewing them together just to kind of see where their stories matched up, where they didn't, etc. These sessions were all filmed, and clips of them have been released. I heard a few of the clips in an episode of High Strange, which is an amazing podcast hosted by Payne Lindsay, which I highly recommend. If aliens are your thing, check that podcast out. And then I also watched a documentary on Discovery Plus called Alien Abduction, Betty and Barney Hill, that had clips of the hypnosis as well. And let me just say, I will explain some of the things that happen in these clips, but listening to them or watching them, they will shake you. Whether or not you believe in alien abductions, these clips are difficult to watch or listen to because it's very clear that Betty and Barney were absolutely horrified as they relived what they experienced that September night. Like I said, during the first sessions, Dr. Simon took them into separate rooms and questioned them. In each of their interviews, both of them became extremely upset 
and started panicking, even crying, as they told him about what happened and what they were seeing in their memories. Under hypnosis, Betty told Dr. Simon that she remembered being taken into the craft. She tried to fight them off, she kicked, she screamed, she pulled against the creatures taking her, which she now remembered is how she ripped her dress. She described going into what looked like an exam room. There were a few of these beings around her, one seemed to be the leader, and one was the examiner. They had grayish skin and large, dark eyes. They told her that they didn't want to hurt her, they were just going to do a simple exam. Betty later described this as if a human were to pick up an animal, take a look at it, and then put it back down. Spooky. <laughs> I, don't, I don't ever want to experience that feeling. Betty remembered them examining her spine, taking skin samples, and being really interested in her hands and feet. She remembered that eventually, the examiner pulled out a large, long needle, and as she went through this portion during the hypnosis, and she cried and begged them to stop, begged them not to hurt her, and Dr. Simon assured her that they couldn't hurt her, everything was okay, and she could continue talking. Through tears, Betty told him that the examiner took this huge needle and stuck it in her navel. She said that it hurt so bad, and she begged them to stop. The leader came over to her and swept his hand across her eyes, and the pain suddenly stopped. She was really upset and shaking, and she asked the leader why they did that, and the leader told her that it was a pregnancy test. Yikes. Betty could still remember exactly what the pain felt like, and during her hypnosis, she was extremely upset remembering this particular thing. Barney also described a very similar experience. He said that he was taken into an exam room and asked to undress. The beings took skin samples and examined his spine, just like they did with Betty, they, and he said that they used a needle to take a sperm sample. Betty and Barney were both asked if they were sexually assaulted in any way, and they both said no. Betty also remembered that she asked the leader where they came from, and he showed her a map. Betty did her best to draw this map from memory and tried to explain what she remembered. She drew a big map that showed a couple of big circles with some smaller circles with lots of different lines connecting them. Some were thin, some were thick, some were broken lines. She later explained that these were basically trade routes. Since Betty created that map, there have been many people that have tried to figure out where this possibly could be in the universe, and there are a lot of theories and fake theories and things that have been debunked surrounding that map. I'm not going to go into all of the details of that because this episode is already getting a bit long, but if you want to look more into that, there are some pretty interesting theories for what this map possibly could be and where it could be in the solar system. Betty and Barney's accounts were both very vivid, detailed, and very similar. Like I said, you can listen to their hypnosis sessions, I just don't feel like you could fake what they said and did. And again, what would be the point of faking all of this? What would be the point of calling specialists and going through hypnotherapy for months? For what? It's not like they were making money for saying these things. In a pre-internet world where they weren't trying to get famous for this, why would they be doing, why would they fake it? It just makes no sense to me. Anyways, moving on. After their sessions, Dr. Simon said he believed that they were being honest. He didn't understand exactly what happened to them, but he believed that they believed that this genuinely did happen and that they did experience this. He did put out the option that maybe Betty had had these vivid nightmares and shared them with Barney, which actually made him think that he had experienced those things himself, and that's why their stories matched up so well. But Betty and Barney rejected the idea that they had somehow made all of this up in their heads and had these extremely vivid memories of something that didn't actually happen. So even though they didn't have a definitive answer, and maybe Dr. Simon didn't necessarily believe that they had this experience, Barney felt much better after facing the memories he'd been blocking, and he was able to accept that they went through something very traumatic, even though they might never fully understand. 
And for a long time, the Hills wanted to keep their story very quiet and only shared it with people close to them, their close family members, and a few of their friends. They knew how it would look. They knew it sounded insane. And they were very aware of what it would do to their reputations if they were to come forward and share that they had this experience. Like I mentioned at the top of the episode, Betty and Barney were both very well respected and well known in their community. They did a lot of work with the civil rights movement, and they didn't want anything to interfere or get in the way of the work that they were doing. However, (laughs) some people cannot keep their mouth shut, and one of their friends shared the story with a reporter. On October 25th, 1965, about four years after their encounter, a five-part newspaper series came out. John H. Luttrell wrote five articles about the Hill's experience. And from what I understand, he did try to contact them and get their side of things before he published the story, but they declined his offer, they didn't want to talk about it, so he pieced together what he could from other people and did as many interviews as possible. John also did make it very clear that the Hills did not approach him with this story and that they weren't searching for fame or publicity at all, which is a very important note. A lot of people have been pretty annoyed at John Luttrell over the years for putting the story out into the world when the Hills didn't want it to be put out into the world, but he was asked about it later, and he basically expressed that while people deserve privacy and consideration, it's also the public's right to know if these things are happening and if they had these alleged experiences. Once the story broke, it spread like wildfire. It was all over different newspapers throughout the U.S. and the world, and whether they were ready for it or not, Betty and Barney's story was out in the world and everybody knew about it. At that point, they had to make some decisions. They gathered their family together to see what everyone thought they should do because it would affect all of them. After they had this family meeting, everyone was in agreement that they should talk publicly. They supported them fully because they all did believe that their story was true and that they experienced what they said they did. So the Hills ended up working with a man named John Fuller to write the book The Interrupted Journey. John Fuller is usually the person credited with breaking their story, but John Luttrell was the first person to actually report on it. This book was insanely popular when it came out. People wanted every detail. They wanted to know everything, and I don't blame them. There were a lot of firsts in it. They were the first Americans to publicly claim to have been abducted by aliens. They were the first people to give the description of aliens now known as the Greys. And people were fascinated. People were terrified. They wanted all of the story. Bill Ross, a professor at the University of New Hampshire, has curated a collection of important items from Betty and Barney's abduction, and he said, quote, Not to carry it over too far, but they were kind of the Adam and Eve of alien abduction, end quote. What a title. And of course, there was backlash. People called them crazy, but there were also a lot of people who came forward with their own stories and sightings. Over the years, Betty and Barney spoke with a lot of people who had been through traumatic events that they couldn't prove that no one believed, and they had that same feeling of trauma that the Hills had. It obviously wasn't all fun and books and easy roads ahead. Going public with this was a huge difficulty at times, but Betty felt that it was important to share her story and do what she could to help others and shed light on this experience. Sadly, Barney passed away suddenly after suffering a stroke in 1969. Betty continued her research and worked with the UFO community to continue searching for answers. As she got older, Betty thought about her experiences often throughout the rest of her life and did her best to keep sharing and searching. She passed away in October of 2004. I am fascinated by the Hills story. I really want to read their book. I don't know exactly what they experienced in September of 1961, but I do know that it has shaped a lot of pop culture and UFO discussions for over six decades. I could have gone onto so many weird little tangents and little details, but I wanted to keep this one semi 
reasonable. As reasonable as we can when talking about possible alien abductions. So what do you think? Is some of it real? Is some of it exaggerated? Did it happen at all? What do you think happened? Because something definitely did, right? Maybe you're on the fence like I am. I just think that we don't know everything and we cannot even begin to explain every unexplained thing and that is terrifying and kind of cool at the same time. If you have a personal paranormal, extraterrestrial, or any kind of spooky story, um, send those to me. You can email them to tgicrimeday at gmail.com and don't forget to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcasts and I will talk to you very soon. Until next time, stay spooky and just, you know, keep your eyes on the sky for UFOs. Okay, bye.